This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. Spreading freedom across the nation. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck, welcome back to the Freedom Hut. Our three is upon us, which is always uh, a fun part of the show. As I like to say, all parts of the show are so fun. But our three, I feel like we're kicking it into another another gear. Sometimes, maybe not. I don't know. You tell me. Over the weekend, I made gluten free cornbread and Ms. Molly made turkey chili and I will tell you both fantastic perhaps things to add into Buck's cooking and history Facebook live that I'm planning to do one day soon I might even do books with Buck tomorrow I'm thinking about that where I sit and do a Facebook live I probably have to sit on the floor my bookshelf is not that big because I live in an apartment in New York City without much space at all Uh, and the, the bookshelf that I have would be people would probably say, oh, Buck, you should have a lot more books. I've sold so many books over the years back to the Strand Books or donated them in many cases. It's, it's an astonishing thing. You know, you think that whenever you want a book, it's exp- not expensive. Obviously, you can get them for free at the library if you borrow them. And there's any number of ways to buy them online at low prices, although they always tack on the four or five dollar shipping fee, which is now all of a sudden you're paying for the book. Uh, I've given away so many books to the Strand Bookstore and sold them to the, back to the Strand Bookstore. And I, I had to sort of cut myself off. I used to go there and buy and go there and buy, and I realized I've got enough books even now in my apartment for the next, if I really buckle down, the next 12 to 18 months, if I'm being realistic. So I'm not buying any more new books uh, because I don't want to have... It's also the thing if you move a lot in New York City, which I've done as well. Every time they raise the rent, I'm like, I got I to gotta move because I can't afford it. <laughs> Uh, you don't want to be carrying too many books. So most of the ones that I keep are either the ones that I have a sort of have a special resonance with me, or are still TB TBF TB to be finished, or I don't know. Some of them are collectors' items at some level, at least in the sense that they maintain a value. But my book on uh, Islam and Dimitude. I think that book you get now if you try to get alliance 60 bucks or something for some yeah hey it's like an investment i bought it for 10 bucks years ago and it's out of print now it's become more rare I'm, I'm sure one of you are about to send me a link to how you can get it for four bucks on some site somewhere but generally speaking it's more expensive okay uh and also turkey chili and gluten-free cornbread i have to tell you very good very good options for when it's cold outside it was snowy and not that nice in new york city over the weekend so just dropping that out there uh, I also bumped into, this is what I was thinking about the weekend, a Black Lives Matter protest. It was small. It was not particularly uh, not particularly loud compared to some of the others that I've seen. 
But the usual stuff, signs up about police violence and, and killer cops. Maybe there were 100 people in the protest. It's kind of funny because you have 100 people in the protest walking through the snow. And I, they, I happened to be walking in a way that I just crossed. I sort of was the T in the intersection. I crossed where they were walking. And there were almost as many cops as there were protesters. And to me, this was a particularly fitting, uh, particularly fitting circumstance. You've got all these people chanting about killer cops, police violence, police brutality. We know, I talked to you last Friday about how Loretta Lynch gave a speech, and part of the speech I think was about Charlotte. I didn't see that part of it, to be honest with you, but I did see the part where she talked about Chicago. Over 3,000 shootings, over 700 homicides in Chicago last year, and we're being told that the police don't have training, that it makes them racially sensitive enough. I just... It's a look. The the response you get from the left is we can hold the police accountable and work on violence. That's a lie. It's a dodge, because this has nothing. This is they're linked for one by denigrating the police. You are making them feel much less empowered to do their jobs. Anybody who's been in a circumstance where they work for the government and they feel like they may be the fall guy or fall girl for something knows what I'm talking about. You don't ever want to be the one that they're going to all point the finger at and blame. And if you don't have top cover from the bureaucracy, it really puts a a damper on your ability and willingness to do your job. If you are thinking that doing something in good, good faith was always a term that we would hear inside the CIA for when we would discuss legal issues. It wasn't like when I was a CIA officer, we were told, oh, don't worry, it's the CIA. We do spy stuff, you know, sneaky, sneaky, little ninja skills here and there. If you mess up, everything's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. We've got your back. No, it was, you know, if you have to, if you have to do any number of things, especially anything that involved uh, use of force or possible use of force, it was going to trigger all sorts of legal, uh, all sorts of legal mechanisms and, it was we were so over lawyered there, but I always remember being told you had to be conducting your job in good faith. And the understanding that we had then was, OK, well, we know what that means. Police don't have that backup right now in a lot of places. They don't feel like they do. And given the Justice Department inquiries into police conduct in all sorts of places, do you think step back for a second? Do you think that when the DOJ investigates a police department? A huge one like Chicago PD, uh, or but just name one, any department really, but especially in the larger ones. What they're not they're not going to find a few instances, or or even I don't know how many, but they're not going to find instances of police messing up, police brutality, police problems. Of course they are. They're not going to see that it's a very hard, thankless job, especially in the early days. I can only speak for New York, but the cops make very little money here when they start out. They're the, the salary is really low, uh, very tough, a tough gig. And I don't just mean for those who are in the worst crime areas. It's just uh, you show up. You got all these rules, the patrol guide. It's not an easy it's not an easy gig in, in, in a lot of places. Maybe if you're the one sheriff in a whole county and you just get to drive around and everyone likes you and waves to you, that sounds great. But in New York City, it's a lot of standing around, a lot of walking. around. It's really, honestly, oftentimes a very boring job from what my friends who are uniform tell me not all the time, but a lot of times you get, what do you, do you think it's, you think it's fun to be the NYPD officers who are standing in front of the turnstiles on a frigid day, just making sure that no one's getting their handbag swiped or anything. It's I'm glad they're there, but it's not fun. It's not, not exciting. 
You know, it's not like you're watching Hawaii Five O and the cops coming off the beach. You know, they got a six shooter in his in the waistband of his board shorts. It's not like that. So, uh, back to cops and not feeling supported. It's a huge. It has a, a huge impact on their jobs. And so, when the left talks about how we can hold police accountable and decry violence, that's really disingenuous. That's a really dishonest formulation for what's going on. Because the truth is, they only want to hold the police accountable and not talk about any of the rest of the problems. One of the most damaging things that I've seen with people, with institutions, uh, is the consistent desire to always evade accountability. To find some explanation for one's failures or for whether we're talking about an individual or an institution. We'll make it about individuals here for a second, so it's just easier for me to talk about. But whenever I see people who are trying to hide from reality, there's a recognition that this will eventually catch up with them. We all know, we all know people like this. Hopefully, me, you, we don't have too much of this in our own lives. Although I think all of us are guilty to one degree or another of this. There are things we want to avoid. There are uncomfortable truths we'd rather not address. And for many of us, we have weak spots, and we know it. Whether it's not really wanting to think about whether we're having two or you know, one drink, or is it really two or three every day after work, or seven, or whatever the case may be. Uh, whether we're hiding from the mail because we don't want to see what the bills are or we don't want to hear the truth from our family about where we're putting our careers in terms of our personal lives. Are we, you can just do this all day. People evading accountability, though, it becomes a very self-defeating cycle because if you evade accountability, you also then steal from yourself the ability to self-correct. And self-correction is a wonderful thing, is a beautiful thing, is a really empowering thing. I remember a friend of mine, I was really unhappy when I started out at Langley, not right away. Right away, of course, you, you kind of hear James Bond theme song playing in the back of your head every time you, you drive up to those gates at Langley. Dun, 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 dun. And then after you've showed up to your tiny cubicle in sub-basement E7 for the third or fourth month and you're certainly not making very much money and realize that no one around you thinks you're that cool because there's a lot of them and you know, they're not they're not no one else in the CIA is impressed that you work for the CIA so you have to start finding ways to find real meaning in what you do day in and day out I became very unhappy for a little bit because I was a junior person and I thought and I was assigned an account when I got there and this is just I was ambitious and wanted to I was there to make it. I was there to make an impact. I knew it wasn't going to make any money. I knew it wasn't going to get famous. I knew it wasn't going to be about me. So I wanted to be about the mission. And I, I, I had an account. I, I was on a team that had some. And it's very strange to talk about terrorism as having a good account because if we're going to be completely honest, and I am completely honest with you, that means that you're covering a part of the world that there's a lot of horrible stuff going on. Very active jihadist violence and suicide bombings and all the all the things that we think of when we talk about counterterrorism if you're on a particularly active account it means that you're reading about covering tracking assisting in the capture of even whether we're this is a war zone or some of the other places we could be working and i originally was on an account it just stunk it was there was no action there was very little for me to do and i became really 
down about the whole thing because I wanted to be in the CIA so badly. I had thought this would be the best job ever. And when I got it, I was ecstatic. I mean, I couldn't do backflips almost. When I was in college, I taught myself how to walk on my hands really well. I used to walk around the hallways on my hands when I was writing my thesis. That shows you how bored I was and how cold and socially uh, confining Amherst was. If you got if you got sick of drinking out of a red solo cup from a keg in the basement of a dorm after sophomore year, you were really just left with reading books and doing your work. This may have been why my grades went from B-ish to A's <laughs> sometime around uh, the end of sophomore year or uh, junior year. Uh, I had two, I had two halves of the academic at Amherst. Buck, who was you know getting it done, but not really. The gentleman's B plus for sure here and there, and then A's. <laughs> like I'm, I've had enough. I don't need. I don't need any more beer. I don't need any more of this nonsense. I I gotta get serious here. It, it came up in some of my job interviews after I graduated from school. They're like what? So all of a sudden, you know, you really have a a change and uh, you know heavier course load and more intense courses and everything else. And I said, yeah, I just got sick of drinking beer out of solo cups and you know, listening to music. A top 40 music out of someone's stereo that was blasting to the point where it was, you know the sound distortion was happening uh but cia back to cia and self-correct i'm gonna bring this all around i know this is i'm dancing here everybody i'm all over the place today but with self-correction uh i was at a, the agency and i felt like this is a huge mistake i had a soft but very very lucrative offer from a financial institution that came up right before I went down to Langley. And I had said, you know what? I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go. I'm going to go do CIA instead. So it's going to be a Wall Street guy. And instead I went into the CIA. And that obviously had a huge impact on my life and changed things. But I was talking to some friends of mine. And there were people around me. And I was pretty good at convincing people that I had been shafted. I had been sort of cut out of the action. And I, you know, I didn't like my team that much. And everything was... And there was one guy who I wasn't even particularly close with, wasn't even a very good friend. But I had mentioned this to him, and he kind of looked at me like, Are you, you're, you're inside this, you're in the CIA, you're here, you've got a clearance. You've just started. You haven't made any mistakes. You, you, you're still creating your reputation here. You're still building, you're at the very start of a career. And he would just send me emails, take action. That's what he would tell me take action he wasn't a great friend or even a particularly nice guy but it was just interesting to see how i was talking about how it wasn't going the way i wanted it to and everybody around was oh man that's not yeah that's no good you know you're you're a talented guy you gotta oh you gotta do this and that and it was very nice and those were the people that was like well this is what my friends in Langley were telling me there's one guy I wasn't really a friend he was just like, take action and i remember he would send me it was it was belligerent he would send me a note just say take action and by action, he meant get yourself into a better situation. Don't sit around and be, oh, why didn't I should have I was brought in to do this. They've got me doing that. My boss is a jerk and a moron, which was true. But you know, get into a different situation. But that was a moment for me, at least professionally, where I felt like, OK, this is this is now account. I am accountable. This is accountability. If I stay here. If I choose to just put my head down and continue to be miserable, that's on me. And I ended up then leaving and going to the Iraq office and having a, a very uh, worthwhile experience as a CIA analyst in a relatively short period of time, all in 
2005, 2010, so five years. And that was all started by early on within my first year thinking to myself, I- I've got to get I got to get into a place where I'm really being utilized and I can have an impact. And then there was the frustration of getting to the top reaches of the analytic cadre and still feeling like you don't have and that's a whole discussion for another day. But it's important to hold yourself accountable. It's important to think about what you can do to better yourself professionally, personally and otherwise. And that requires a degree of honesty. And what I see with the discussions about criminality and rising crime and violence in some cities, in some parts, some areas of this country, is there are people who are always offering, they're always offering to those communities the excuse. They're always preventing accountability. They think they're being helpful and they're doing it also for their own reasons of in, uh, increasing their own power and their connections into these communities and also as a means of preparing to tear down the other side when they try to talk about things like the destruction of the family and uh, the lack of jobs and the uh, whether your work ethic coming from parents and all the things that you would want to discuss if you were having a really fulsome well-rounded talk about how does a community how does one city and really just a few areas subdivisions subsections of that city have over 3,000 shootings in one year in the United States in 2016. How does that happen? The left holds up cops. The left in this long story or analogy or whatever we call it are, are the friends of mine inside of Langley who are saying, yeah, man, it's so wrong what they've done to you. You know, you, you totally, they, they promised you that you'd have good stuff going on and, and you, you don't. That wasn't good. It was much better to have somebody say, take action. And then I went around and talked to other people who were more helpful about, okay, well, what do I do? But at least understand that this is on me. And Chicago and other places that are having huge spikes in crime need to understand this is on those communities at some level. These are people in those community do, communities doing this. This is a systemic problem. We can sit around and talk about the cops all day. We can have Black Lives Matter marches in New York City, which is almost as safe as Tokyo. Very little violent crime here for a city of this size. Yeah, they can march the streets and talk about how black lives matter. It's not helping anybody in Chicago. You know what would help people in Chicago? Discussions about where the problem really is to try and bring about some accountability so that there can be self-correction in the community for individuals and for the city or the areas of the city that need it overall. 888-900-3393 team. I'll be back in just a few. This is the Buck Sexton Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. Buck Sexton, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Team, I see the reports here about Democrats 
and some Republicans who are anti-Trump who are going to leave D.C. for the inauguration. This is now this is now a thing. Uh, inauguration departures by Politico, uh, inauguration departures by operatives on the losing side of election are common every four years. But they're taking on a different tone this time after an unusually ugly election season. Many Democrats are on no mood to see the swearing in of a man they consider a unique threat to the nation. Uh, Democrat attack dog David Brock is gathering more than 150 top Democratic donors in South Florida over inauguration to discuss how to hold the incoming Trump administration accountable. Okay, I want to talk to you about this because we were just discussing accountability before. They don't want accountability for the Trump administration. They want to destroy it. There's a difference. There's a very important difference. And I want to bring you into my thinking on this, but we're going to go into a break. When we come back, we'll deep dive in together. I'll be right back. This is the Buck Sexton Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Sexton Show. Speak your mind. 888-900-3393. So, team, over the weekend, I, I popped into Fox and Friends on Saturday morning. I saw our old buddy Pete Hegseth, uh, which was which was great. Waking up at 5 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday was not the easiest thing for me, but spreading freedom, it's not going to spread itself. And someone's got to step up and get it done. So I got up at the crack of, not before dawn, I got up in the, it was still pitch black outside. To go spread some freedom, and of course I did that. And uh, I got there, and we were talking about Trump and Flynn and this brouhaha over whether General Flynn called Russia to undermine the sanctions that Barack Obama had put in place. This is, as I see it, a, a tempest in a teapot, a mountain out of a molehill. First of all, how, they know, how do they know about the phone call? I'm still waiting for reporting on that. It, it may have come out and I just missed it. But that seems to me to be a very strange and possibly very troubling development. That there would be, what, a leak from the intel community of a U.S. citizen making a foreign phone call? Start You start poking around as to who has access to that kind of information and what sorts of programs that information would come from. And it's very concerning. I mentioned this to you on Friday. But... This is where I am on this, and I, I wanted to put this out there so that you can understand how I feel about so much of the news that comes in about Trump and Democrats. There are some, there are some individuals out there who are in the media, including some who come on this show, who are very concerned about Trump ties to Russia, and I and I, be, I completely believe them in that they're doing the, or that is how they feel. It's not some show. It's not some anti-Trump thing. They really worry about this. And particularly some conservatives who have been critics of Putin and Russia consistently since before Trump even won the election are very concerned about Trump ties to Russia. Here's why I am on this so that you can and I always want to tell you how I frame these issues so that you know that I'm not I'm not a oh Trump, 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 MAGA, 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 America, great again, all that stuff. I'm hoping the Trump administration's great. I support the Trump administration insofar as they adhere to Republican 
principles and try to enact as many of the promises made during the campaign as possible. And anytime they deviate, I plan to make a lot of noise about it. I know many others do, too. And if there's real malfeasance, I will also call that out. I see some who are fellow conservatives that I think, for one reason or another, have already bought into the notion that Trump, it's just a matter of time before we find out that Trump is a Manchurian candidate for Russia or is a under the influence of Russia in a way that is deeply distressing to U.S. national security that is uh, concerning to all Americans. I see that they already believe this. Here's why I stop short of that. I always have in my head, and this is part of this is part of being someone who was uh, at CNN on air and behind the scenes for two years. The left hates this guy so much. They hate him in a way that they haven't hated a Republican politician since Nixon, I think. That might be fair to say. And, of course, we all know what happened there. And that's the plan here. All this stuff about David Brock and these other Democrat activists who are out there talking about accountability for the administration, that is not what is wanted here. They want an end to this administration. They want Donald Trump to either resign or be removed from office in disgrace and the Democrats to sweep back into power in the midterms. And I don't know, Cory Booker or whomever they choose to be the Democrat Party's figurehead in the next election to finally set things right and put us back on that path towards progressive collectivism. That's all this stuff about how we just want Trump to respect the Constitution, and we were they've rediscovered the Constitution. I guess that's a good thing, although they'll forget about it when they have someone from their side in power right away. But all of that is a smokescreen, in my, in my estimation, for a much more serious effort to destroy the administration, to, to, take, to take Donald Trump out of office through legal means, through some investigation, through some scandal, whatever it, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. I can't speak for the rest of the Republican Party in this. Well, obviously, that's <laughs> that's a self uh, self-explanatory statement. But what I saw with opposition to Barack Obama was th- that most of us didn't want his policies to be enacted. We didn't agree with his agenda. But I wasn't sitting around constantly agitating for him to be impeached. I wasn't sitting around constantly talking about how he I wasn't part. Of, obviously, wasn't a birther and all that stuff. That existed with Republicans, and anytime you bring up this discussion, it's going to be thrown in your face that there was the birther movement and that Donald Trump was a part of the birther movement or at least brought it up or whatever, however you want to describe it. And yet it, the reality is that the Democrats, as a party right now, are as anti-Trump and vitriolically anti-Trump, are as hateful of Trump as the worst small segments of the right were of Obama from the very beginning. But the whole Democratic Party is pretty much there. They all want him gone. They all want him out. This is also why I don't believe that Trump is going to sell out the Republican base or the conservative, or I I shouldn't even say that, the Trump base, whatever that is. Why? There's no going back to the other side for him now. There's no New York Times is going to start writing glowing editorials about him. We're way past that, as I see it. I could be wrong. But I 
on the Russia issues and on these other news items that primarily Russia right now, there might be other stuff that comes up with Trump's business ties. I always apply a lens of skepticism to it, not because I'm trying to be reflexively defensive of Trump. That's not what I'm trying to do. I certainly wasn't that way during the primary, and I didn't feel like I was that way during the general. I just always start from the premise that the Democrats are trying to end this presidency any way they can. And the press is all in on it. And this is the main effort. This isn't some secondary thing. This isn't a fringe part of the party. This is what the overwhelming consensus of the Democrat Party and the Democrat machine in this country, the whole establishment is trying to do. They don't want a better Trump administration. They don't want to meet him halfway on policies. They're not looking to for Trump to triangulate. They're not looking for moderation. They want him gone. Full stop. They want him gone. And so when I see the reporting about ties to Russia and Mike Flynn made this phone call, the phone call was around the time of the sanctions. Even if Flynn had said something about the sanctions, which he says he didn't, I've heard a lot of things about Flynn. I've never heard that he's a dishonorable guy. He served his country for decades, made it made his way all the way to the head of the DIA. It did show poor judgment, in my opinion, for him to be a paid contributor at RT. And I can speak to that with some experience, as I've told you before. RT, can we send a car for you, Buck? Can we, you know, we'll send a helicopter, anything. Please come on RT for just one time. See how you like it. Wouldn't do it. I flat out refuse to go on RT. I flat out refuse to go on Al Jazeera America. Because I do think there are limits. And you know, some people say, well, that's why people, no one should go on Fox News. And that's ridiculous. Half the country doesn't support the basic premises of RT, I hope. <laughs> maybe, I'm over, maybe I'm overestimating America right now. Uh, and so I, th- I do believe that was poor judgment on Flynn's part. But you'll see this because this has already happened a few times now. The left is looking for excuses to criminalize people in the Trump administration or anybody who is viewed as helping the Trump administration. I've told how many times have I said to you that the humorless punks in Langley were always and they're always Democrats were always the ones who would talk about the Hatch Act. Oh, Hatch Act violation. You make a joke about something related to the political party. Yeah, it's a Hatch Act violation. If you put up some funny poster on one of our. As I did, of course, because I was doing funny stuff all the time. It's like a cross between James Bond and Archer, for those of you who've seen that cartoon. And every time there'd be something coming, she would come from some whiny, progressive, Howard Dean-loving, Bernie Sanders-voting CIA analyst. It was always from them. The conservatives never said it, because we just know that's never going to happen. There's never going to be any action taken against somebody for their support of left-wing causes, because the left owns the government bureaucracy. It's a very, which is part of why there's been such a rejection on the right of bureaucracy is because it's infested by the left. They run this stuff. They control it. Also something to keep in mind as we go forward. That's a very real dynamic and a troubling one. But when I see this reporting about, oh, the criminalization of everything, I'm jumping around here a little bit. The Hatch Act they're bringing up about Comey, and they're investigating Comey for what he did with Hillary's, they want payback for that. They're going to try to get him on the Hatch Act. Never going to get him on the Hatch Act. Pfft. Should go take a 
long walk off a short pier. Never going to happen. They bring up the Logan Act with General Flynn. They don't stop to tell you usually that the Logan Act comes from 1799. There's never been a successful prosecution in the history of the United States under the Logan Act. I think there was one case of someone in Kentucky indicted for speaking to the French in, in 1799. Or so. And then the Louisiana Purchase happened, and no big deal. It wasn't 1799. I forget the year, but it was Louisiana Purchase time, and some guy in Kentucky spoke to some French people. Something like Nothing happened. Zero successful prosecutions using the Logan Act in, call it a, you know, what is it, a couple of hundred years plus? But they're bringing it up for Flynn because, yeah, that's where they're going to make that's where they're going to make the case. It's unconstitutional, by the way, because you could claim that any number of things could influence a could influence a foreign government with regard to its relations. To the United States, this is it's a nonsense law to begin with. And it came out around the same time as the Alien and Sedition Act, which were flagrantly in contradiction with the spirit and let, uh, spirit and wording of the First Amendment. So but they'll write about this. Oh, Flynn violated the Logan Act. Because they're just trying to find, like, the annoying kid in the classroom who's trying to be the teacher's pet and is always looking for some way to, to curry favor. And saying that some kids, eh, some kids are late. Some kids are, you know, sneaking snacks when they're not supposed to. The Democrats are just coming at, at the Trump team with all this stuff all the time. And it's not helpful. It's not constructive. It's all hyperventilating. It's all exaggerated. So when I hear more stuff about Russia, it's not that I'm unwilling to believe that there could be unsavory or perhaps illicit and maybe even illegal contacts between some members of the Trump team and the and the Russians or business. I'm I'm open eyes and open ears about all of it. I'm just not going to let them create a narrative before the facts are out in order to advance a political agenda. And so every time something comes out about Trump that's negative, I don't start from Trump is bad. He's the worst. He's going to destroy America. I start from the perspective of. The left wants to destroy Trump at all costs. They will do more or less anything to achieve that goal uh, within the boundaries of not themselves getting locked up, I think. But they'll go to extreme lengths. And so it's with that in mind that I evaluate each piece of information as it comes in about Trump's ties to Russia. Because it's not a fair game. These are not objective people. And the conservatives that I know that seem to believe more of this or that there's more nefarious there's more nefarious stuff going on behind the scenes with Trump and Russia than we even know about okay maybe that's true I just want proof I just don't want the left to be able to get away with what they've already done which is make things seem much worse than they are and to be doing so explicitly purposefully because they hate Trump and everything he stands for, and everyone who voted for him, and the Republican Party, because he now is at the head of the Republican Party. Uh, team 888-900-3393. Buck Sexton here. Be right back. Buck Sexton. The Blaze Radio Network. Sexton. Team, please download our uh, podcast here from the Freedom Hut. Go to theblaze.com slash buck-sexton or go on SoundCloud or Stitcher 
or iTunes. If there's a subscribe button, which there is on SoundCloud and on iTunes, please subscribe. It is uh, very helpful, uh, and I really appreciate it. And that way also you can get the show and you can share it with people. I have to play this for you. John Lewis, civil rights hero, Democratic representative, just coming out and saying it. Trump, not a legitimate president. Play it. Um, Forged relationships with many presidents. Do you plan on trying to forge a relationship with Donald Trump? You know, I believe in forgiveness. I believe in trying to work with people. Uh, it's, it's going to be hard. It's going to be very difficult. Uh, I don't see this president-elect as a legitimate president. You do not consider him a legitimate president. Why is that? I think the Russians participated in helping this man get elected, mm -hmm. and they helped destroy the candidacy of Hillary Clinton. Uh, I don't plan to attend inauguration. It will be the first one that I miss uh, since I've been in the Congress. You, you cannot be at home with something that you feel that is wrong. That's going to send a that's right. going to send a big message. Yeah, it is. It is sending a big message. I do not remember Republican members of Congress saying Obama was not their president. I don't remember that. I know there was acrimony. I know there was nasty stuff. But this is really damaging. And this gives you a sense of what the mindset is right now. I'm telling you, they don't want Trump to be held accountable. They don't want Trump to do a better job. They don't want to guide his policies. They want to destroy this administration. As I said, full stop. All right, team, much more coming tomorrow, live every day this week from the Freedom Hut. Until then, as always... Time. The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network.